Amen. Well, uh, <clears throat> as short as it was, choir, I promise you, that song helped me. It calmed me down a good deal. And it reminds me of something that I've always known is true, and I love seeing it every time that it happens, and that is that God is not calling us to perfection, but He is calling us to be genuine. And so, if you're going to sing a verse of a song and be genuine, I'm telling you, that will help us more than any full concert you could do just for show. So thank you, choir, uh, for helping us with that. I want you guys to uh, to be finding your way to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to cover 24 verses. I know that seems like a lot, but I've got a lot uh, to say. And uh, as you can see by our slide here, uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that it is time to grow up. Now, where are my seniors at? Y'all take a stand up for me. I'm going to let y'all stay with your family and friends for the moment. Right? All right. There's a couple more popping up. Here we go. All right. There we go. All right. Good deal. So these are our seniors, ladies and gentlemen. If y'all want to go ahead and give them a round of applause. <clears throat> now, you guys can be seated. Uh, just wanted to know where you are so I can make eye contact with you. Because this is one of those sermons that, that, that is, uh, is, is difficult, right? It's like a Mother's Day kind of thing. Like, you've got to acknowledge the, the, the holiday, but also speak to a wider context than just mothers. Well, it's the same tonight. We've got a grad recognition service, and I want to speak to you graduates in particular. But the truth of God's Word is, is, is a marvelous thing in that um, it helps any and all who will... Uh, to read it, to study it, etc. And so the, the meaning that I'm going to pull out for them is very much so a meaning that I think will be helpful for the church in general. So um, if you if you found your way to Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read it. You don't, you don't have to take, uh, take a stand tonight. Um, it's a lot. It's 24 verses. So um, I'll read it and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, it says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 17, now this, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, I pray that you would help me tonight, dear God, because I acknowledge before these people that I need it, dear God. I need your help in presenting this message, dear God. I need your help in helping the audience be attentive and listen. I need your help in The work that you do, the work that the Spirit does in taking this word and putting it in a heart, dear God, to create a burning, to create uh, an awe and a wonder in someone's life so that they feel the need to take action, dear God. Help us to, as Brother Jesse said, not just be hearers of this word, but dear God, to apply it to our lives. I pray specifically that that would be the case for these graduates, dear God, as they move to a new season of life, a new phase, a new responsibility in many cases. Dear Heavenly Father God, I pray that you would be the one that leads and guides them, that you would be the foundation that they stand upon, and that you would indeed be the shepherd of their lives, dear God. Protect them and keep them and help them. Be with us all, dear God, as this message is presented to us, dear God. Help us to take the truth of it and apply it in this place, dear God, so that we do grow up in into you, dear God, into your love, into your graciousness, into your mercy, dear God, ultimately in unity. Help that be the case tonight, dear God, and we'll give you all the honor and glory for it. All these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. Now, if I had to guess, when you parents and family members and friends saw the title, you were probably already upset with this message and that is time to grow up because you're thinking no not my baby not my kid they've already grown up too fast they're already for you parents out there who don't have graduates yet you can tell you they're already growing up too fast for you parents that yours have already grown up you know more than anybody that they grow up too fast so you're probably already like no this is a bad title don't don't give me time to grow up because they're already growing up too fast. Well, whether we like it or not, tonight is our recognition of these students and the fact that they are graduating. Now, for our uh, country, for our culture, that pretty much means that you guys have finished all the mandatory education that you have to have, and whether your parents agree with it or not, have reached some level of maturity. And so, with that being said, you will have more responsibilities given to you. You will have more freedom to use as you choose uh, to decide for yourself what to do in the coming days. You are, dare I say it, an adult now. Now, I know for you graduates that sounds good in theory. Because whether or not it's been a secret or you've made it obvious, this is what you've been hoping for. 
You're ready to get to that point where when you say something, people take you seriously, right? You're not just brushed off because you're a kid and you don't know any better, but you are able to stand there and say, this is my opinion on something. This is, I've formed it. Uh, you know, I'm an adult. All of these things, you're ready for that. And if I'm guessing, um, you may not know this fact yet, but if you, if you do, good. If you don't, this may be difficult for you, but um, it's not as good as it sounds. <clears throat> I'm not too I'm not too far removed from where you were. Uh, it's it's a little more than I'd like to admit, but I was there recently, um, and I can say that that that's something that you wish for. You want the responsibility, you want the freedom, you want to be acknowledged, you want all of these things. But when those responsibilities come, what you realize is is not all it's cracked up to be. And I say that because of this. The only difference, and here you go, the only difference between being a child and being an adult is this. You no longer have excuses to get you out of things you don't want to do. When you're a kid, you just, I don't want to do that, Mom. Please don't make me do that. Dad, please don't make me do that. Please, I don't want to do that. They'll let you off. Or you know you know this one. This is my favorite one. All right, so they let you not do something, right, and you're at home. And the one job they gave you was take the chicken out of the freezer. And it's been four hours and you hear the car pull up and you realize I have not taken the chicken out of the freezer and you run in there, you grab it, you've got the hot water going, you're trying to thaw it out, you're just hoping that they don't notice. Of course they do. And they give you one of these. Look, we're not mad. We're just disappointed. All right. So, so all of that works when you are a kid, right? That works when you're a kid. But as an adult, there's no excuse because now you have people who rely on you. You have people who look up to you. You have people who are going to look to you and rely on you, whether it be your job, whether it be the family that is to come for you guys, whatever it may be, people are going to essentially lean on you. You have a new level of responsibility, uh, but that that means that people are looking at you. That means people are depending on you. So now, more than ever, um, I think it is a good time for you to look at your relationship with God and make sure the foundation is strong before you move on to this new season of life. Because with those responsibilities and with those choices that you're about to make, um, they will impact your adult life. You will have to deal with the consequences of these decisions uh, probably for the rest of your life. And so it would be awesome if you started that decision-making season with the foundation sure, looking to God, Trusting what he's calling you to do, pursuing that no matter what, that would be awesome. And so hopefully tonight, that's what I can encourage you to do. Because let me go ahead and tell you, the title of the sermon has nothing to do with your physical growth. It has to do with the fact that it is indeed time for you guys to grow up, but to grow up spiritually. And that's not just you graduates. It's, it's the church. That's what you guys have to remember. Some of you have grown old in church, grown old in Christ, but you have not grown up in Christ. You have not matured in that way. So it's time for all of us to grow up, but you seniors speaking to specifically. So let's go ahead and dive into Ephesians 1 through 4. I want to show you three things. Uh, chapter 4, 1 through 24, I want to show you three things. And the first thing I want to talk about is this idea of walking worthy. Now I say walk worthy because you have to acknowledge graduates as well as the church, that there is a calling on your life. We start in verse 1. From the get-go, Paul encourages us. He says, walk in a manner that's considered 
worthy of your calling. Now, of course, we get to the end of that sentence and instantly we're thinking to ourselves, all right, I got some questions here, Paul. What, what's the calling? How do you walk worthy? What, what are all these things that you've already said in just one, one verse? What are the implications? What are the, what are the questions? Well, he answers them, of course, it's Paul, but I want to comment just briefly on, on one of those things, and that is this, the calling. The calling. The calling here is this idea of an invitation to a party. An invitation to a party. Now, you guys all know, uh, I, I assume you've all read Matthew 22. It's the parable of the wedding feast. The king essentially invites the people to the party, and everybody has a better excuse as to why they're not coming. Um, that invitation to that party is a calling. And for us, that calling is very much so, in one sense, an invitation to accept Christ. But that calling goes beyond that one-time moment. It goes beyond that salvation experience. That calling, actually, is an invitation that is ongoing. Your daily growth, your continuing growth in Christ is a daily process. You have to accept that invitation every single day. Your calling is something that you will have to pursue every single day. Because God is essentially inviting you every single day that you are alive and you are a Christian. He's inviting you into the kingdom work that he has. And so every day... We're hoping to pursue that work. We're hoping to fulfill that call. And so that's the calling he's talking about, but that still leaves us with this idea of what does it mean to walk worthy of that calling? We know it's salvation. We know it's the daily process that's after that. But what does it mean to walk worthy of that calling? Well, Paul luckily tells us in verses 2 and 3 that there are three things, three things that kind of describe this calling. Now, this is frustrating. I'll admit, this is frustrating because these are big principles. These aren't your finely detailed, if you'll read 30 minutes of this, if you'll pray for 15 minutes, if you'll do this, then you'll know for sure that you walk worthy. Because that's what we want. At the end of the day, we want a checklist so we know for sure that we're doing this right. But when you give me principles, man, it's hard for me to tell if these principles are being lived up to. So what are the principles he mentions in verse 2 and 3? Well, there's three of them. The first one is lowliness and gentleness. The second one is long-suffering. And the third one is endeavoring to keep unity and peace. Now, lowliness and gentleness, walk through these real quick. Lowliness and gentleness is the idea of being comfortable when someone else is in control. Comfortable when someone else is, is in control. That's what lowliness and gentleness, that's the picture of it. Now, you guys aren't too far removed You graduates aren't too far removed from learning how to drive. Now, did your parents exhibit lowly behavior? Did they seem comfortable with you in control? You're driving. Did they, did they seem okay with you in control or were they doing some of that, that, that break, you know, that invisible break that doesn't exist? Stop! Stop! And you're like, what are we stopping for? The the stop sign's all the way down there. We don't have to stop yet. So, Probably not. If I had to guess, if your experience was like mine, and they had good reason for mine, all right? I'll share this story, but here we go. I didn't intend on this, but here we go. So dad lets me drive his truck, and I'm 15, so we were getting an early start. And so we pull out of the driveway, and my size 14 shoe that I hadn't grown into yet gets stuck on both the gas and the brake at the same time. We... 
go off the side of the road, jump a ditch. Dad is midair, kind of hit the brake. You know, we're we're. And so then I hit a tree, and that's how that ends. So, uh, yes, yes, it was a plant. It wasn't just a big tree; it was a plant. The plant got destroyed. So, all that to say, I understand why parents aren't always, you know, able to let you control things because when you get control, it doesn't go so well. Now we talk about it as like a Dukes and you know, Dukes and Hazard moment. We jump, we're jumping stuff, but so I understand why they would not be okay with us being in control, right? You graduates being in control. But here we're talking about God being in control. We're talking about God being in control of our lives. And we're saying what he calls us to, what he asks us to do for him, we are okay with it. We are okay with him being in control. We are comforted by the fact that he is in control. That's the first characteristic. That's one of the things that marks this worthy walk. Well, the second thing is long-suffering. And you guys are probably familiar with this. It's, of course, patience. Um, one of the one of the writers I was reading says, I wish I could call it long-tempered, right? We, we say people are short-tempered. They blow up really easy. They lash out really easy. He's talking about, you know, I wish we could call it long-tempered because that's essentially what it is. When someone hurts you, you have enough patience. You have enough grace in you that you don't instantly react. You don't blow up. But instead, you're dealing with them in grace, dealing with them in mercy, dealing with them in the way that God, of course, deals with us. The fact that he is long suffering, that he is faithful, even though uh, we are not this idea of us dealing in that way. So that hurts that we've experienced don't compound themselves, that when we're hurt, we don't lash out and cause more hurt, cause more bitterness. But instead, we deal with those people in a very gracious way. That's the second thing. And the third thing. This idea of keeping unity, this idea of pursuing peace in the spirit essentially means being humble. It means that you are looking for harmony. You are looking for unity in everything that you do. I'll give you this example. I just finished my time at Beeson Seminary. Okay. And at that school, I kid you not, this is, this is not an exaggeration. There are, everyone there is of a different denomination, a different socioeconomic background. Some of them aren't even from this country. We've had guys from Nigeria, Liberia, Australia. I mean, a little bit of everything. And so if there was ever a place that would struggle to get along, you would think it would be there, right? You've got people from different denominations, different backgrounds, different experiences. You would think if they were to interact with one another that they would struggle. But what happens there is the focus is not on the things that are different, but the things that are the same. Sure, we can't agree how many times to do communion, but we can agree on the fact that God sent his son to die for us, to save us, to pay a debt that we owed, that we want people to have that relationship with God. We want to serve people. Those are all things that we see as the same. And so when we talk about in this place, when we talk about unity and harmony, that is not something that you and I create. The Spirit creates unity and harmony. We recognize that and keep it going by pursuing what we have in common. You may not have the same experience I have. You may not be from the same place I am. You may not agree with me on everything. But at the end of the day, you look past that and look at what we do have in common. And you pursue those things side by side. You're supporting one another whether you serve differently. You're supporting one another because you know that your goal is the same. So when we talk about those three things, we talk about those things as worthy 
that's what makes your walk worthy. Right? Those are three things. Of course, they're not an exhaustive list. There's more. But those are three things to think about. Here is the hard part of those three things. Paul is making it very clear in this section that it applies to every single believer. Your walk is worthy when you exemplify these characteristics. When you are pursuing Christ, when you are looking past differences to pursue Christ's kingdom work alongside brothers and sisters, when you are lowly, when you are comfortable with Him being in control of your life, when you're pursuing His will, when you're doing these things, when you're patient, right? Talk about patience all the time. When you're patient, when you wait on Him for the things that need to be waited on, when you do those things, your walk is seen as worthy. So everyone in this place, graduates and all of our other people that are here tonight, our walk is worthy when these three things exist. You say, well, why is Paul so focused on this idea of unity? Why is he trying to to push this idea of unity, of pushing this idea of harmony, pushing this idea that our walk is worthy when we all do these things? Well, it shows us in verses 4 through 6. He's pushing this idea of unity and harmony because as different as we are, and he'll expound more on that in a second, as different as we are, we have the same invitation to a relationship with him. We are called to walk in the same manner. We've just seen it. Those three things, we're called to walk in that same manner. We believe the same gospel. Believe it or not, we all have a lot in common. Whether you're graduating high school or if you've been graduated for 60 years, you have something in common. He says that in verses 4 through 6. He very, makes it very clear. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one God, one Father of all, who is over and through all and in all. He is talking about the bigger picture of the church. And believe it or not, whatever your role is in this place, you have a role in that. You have believed the same gospel, right? The Spirit is empowering one body, one church. When I talk about one church, I'm talking about the big church, right? I'm talking about us and Presbyterians, right? Even though we don't always agree on everything, we agree that Jesus is Lord. It's, it's, it's that idea of a bigger church. There is one Lord. There is Jesus Christ. There is Christ to pursue by laying hold of him in faith. There is one baptism. All of these things are the same. There is one and only one God, and he is the one that is supreme and sovereign. He is the one that is calling the shots. This same calling, this same gospel, these same things are what unites us. These are the things that produce harmony when we pursue them, because we all, believe it or not, however different we may seem, all have the same calling on our lives. He has the same expectations for our walk. All of that is the same. And he's pushing that because he's about to talk about a difference. Verses 7 through 10, he makes it very clear. He says, now, you're all called to the same gospel. You all believe in the same gospel, believe in the same Lord. Everything is the same. There are things to expect of your walk. Verses 7 through 10, he says, but your giftings may be different. There is a diversity 
of spiritual gifts. Beginning in verse 7, Paul starts talking about this. He makes it clear that grace was given according to the measure of Jesus' gift. Now, this isn't saving grace. It's not like some people got more saved than other people. It's not a quantity thing, right? It's a, it's a quality thing. It's, it's describing the gift you were given. It's essentially saying this. When Jesus descended to this earth, when he took on flesh, when he lived the life you couldn't live, when he defeated death, hell, sin, the grave, when he did all of that, he purchased, of course, our salvation and also victory. But when he ascended, when he left, he left behind a helper. And because he won that war, he has the right to give gifts. Paul makes that clear by the fact that he uh, quotes uh, Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen. And the picture in Psalm 68, 18 is this. A king conquers an army, defeats an army, defeats those who were trying to take captive his people. And he plunders them. He takes what he wants from that. And he returns to the people. Now, Paul changes one word in Psalm 68, 18. And he says that this king would give gifts. Not that the king would keep all the plunder to himself, which a king was certainly well within his rights to do but that this king would give gifts. Essentially, Paul is saying this. Jesus conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, and when he made the captive a captive, when he defeated Satan and evil and all of those things once and for all, he plundered, right? He brings back victory. He brings back gifts, and he gives those gifts as he pleases. So it's not up to me to say, I want to be this, I want to be that, I think I want to do this, I think I want to do that. He has given me a specific gifting, whether I like it or not. It's his good pleasure. Trust me, if there was anything I could do, it wouldn't be this. Just being honest. And this is why. This is why. Okay, this is why. Because the responsibility of standing between God and people Being responsible for what you say, what you do, how you lead. Those are not things that I would have chosen for myself. The same thing for you students. You are going to be around people. And it would be much easier for you to blend in. To do what they're doing. Not to ruffle any feathers. Not to go against the crowd. To just blend in. But that's not what he's called you to do. He's called you to stand out. He's called you to walk in a way that is worthy. He is this victorious king and he is giving gifts at his good pleasure. And so it's not for me to say who gets what or who is what. It's up to Jesus to give those gifts. So to you graduating seniors, I encourage you to walk in this manner that is worthy of your calling. Not only in this place, but in the world. Because there will be circumstances that you face that are outside of your control. And you're going to need that lowliness. You're going to need the ability to be okay with where God is taking you and what God is calling you to do. Because you're not going to be in control. But you've got to develop. You've got to get to a point where you are okay. You're comforted. You are assured when He is in control where He is leading you. There's going to be hurt. There is going to be brokenness along the way, somehow, some way, whether it's intentional or unintentional, and you're going to need that long suffering. You're going to need that grace to deal with people in such a way that they probably won't expect. You're going to meet people, God willing, that are nothing like you, and the only thing that you have in common with them is the fact that they love God and you love God. And I pray that those relationships, wherever they occur, 
will build you up and will refine you, will build them up, will refine them. I pray that the Lord reveals the way that He's called you, the giftings that He's given you, whatever that may look like. Um, the youth as a whole. Uh, I pray that for you guys as well. I pray that you guys as graduates would stay involved, that you would come back and mentor these younger students. Once you develop your gifting, whatever that looks like, however you serve, that you would come back and help these younger ones do the exact same thing. I pray for myself and for, for Brother Jesse that we would do our job in equipping and helping you all to find your place of service, that each individual in this place would draw closer to God that would seek their calling, seek how they could serve so that we could grow as a group, so that we could have the unity and the harmony that is here, that we would all walk worthy of our calling. So we see that in the first ten verses. The next section, uh, we've, we've entitled, Know Your Place. And what we mean by that is there is a purpose for those gifts. So he's talked about how the call on our lives is all the same, the gospel is all the same, but our giftings may be different. Well, then he comes back in 11 through 16 and he says this, your giftings may be different, but the purpose for them is the same. So it's the same, different, same, right? It's the same calling, same gospel, same Lord. You may have different gifts, but they're all for the same purpose. So let's take a look at what that purpose is. Paul begins in verse 11 and he states that Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some Pastors, teachers. Now that fits what Paul has just said. Paul just talked about gifts that have different focal points. That God determines what office somebody holds. Now I'm not here tonight to explain the difference between those four. Um, I think there are four. Some people say five. That's again something I'm not here to get into. Uh, whether these things still exist. Whether they uh, all have to exist for a church to be successful. That's not what I'm doing with this tonight. If you care to know, I have an opinion and I will share it with you. But for now, I'm here to point out that these four offices that they discuss here are all related to leadership. And verse 12 makes it clear that not only are these bodies, uh, these groups related to leadership, but the purpose is that God's people might be equipped for service so that the body will grow. Look at verse 12. It says to equip to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That is the purpose of those leadership gifts. So what does that mean? Well, it means that as a leader in the church, you have a responsibility of equipping the people, of directing them to places where they can serve. The picture is this, when it talks about equipping, when it talks about that, it's talking about mending. It's, it's talking about setting something right. The idea is this, when, when a bone is broken, what has to happen? Has to be reset. It's got to be reset. If it's not reset, nothing else is working, right? It has to be reset. It has to be made right. It's the same Example of someone who comes in this door who is broken as a person, right? You can't expect them to serve. You can't expect them to love God in the way that they're supposed to. They're, they're broken. They have to be mended. They have to be made whole. They have to be equipped. And once they are made whole, once that bone is reset, then they're able to serve. That's the picture here. It's one of bones being reset. It's one of a net being mended, right? Those things aren't going to work properly 
until they're fixed. People who come in here who are broken aren't going to serve properly until they're equipped, till they're discipled. That's how these things function. And so for us, as leaders, as people who may potentially be called to be leaders, I don't know. I don't know what God has called you to do yet. You may not either. That's okay. We can figure that out together. That's kind of my gift. That's what I'm called to do. But I want to stop right here and say this. This, this isn't, this isn't a school bus. This isn't a concert, right? Jesse and I aren't driving the bus and you guys ride along. We're not up here performing for you guys to spectate. Our job is to set things right, right? To equip you, to, to, to help you men so that you then serve. That you then function in the way that God has called you to. We are to point you to Christ and help you to grow. Once you're equipped, once you're set right, the work of ministry is then yours to engage in. You say, why do you say that? Why is that such an emphasis? Well, it's an emphasis for Paul in verses 13 through 16. He says, this goal for equipping, there's a couple here. First in verse 13, we see that maturity is a primary goal. We teach and we equip for the knowledge of God so that someone sees God, grows in their relationship with Him, learns more about Him, and begins to love Him more, begins to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with Him so that they mature. And an an evidence of that maturity is stability and unity in someone's life. Then in verse 14, he says, as you begin to grow, as you begin to mature, You'll be better equipped to handle those false prophets, those people who present doctrine that isn't quite squared away. See, you mature, and then as you mature, you're able to pick those things out. So maturity, stability, but then something else happens as you continue this process. You're then able to stand for truth. You're not deceived, but you're also able to speak that truth in love. You're able to speak that truth in love. So the the Christian life as you're growing should look like maturity. It should look like the ability to spot truth, spot a fake, to stand for that truth, but to do it in such a way that promotes love, that promotes harmony, that promotes unity. Not saying you just cave to someone who is clearly teaching the wrong thing. You stand for truth, but you do so in such a way as you're not shooting them down, but you're evangelizing, you're presenting the gospel, you're presenting the truth to them. All of that happens through this process of maturity. You see that Paul says in verse 16 that the way you'll be able to tell this is working, the way you'll be able to know that this is working, is all the parts of the body are going to function properly. All the parts of the body are going to function properly. If we are all individually maturing, if we are all individually pursuing God in such a way that he does become a big God, that he does become one that we so love and so want to serve that we just can't help it. When it gets to that point individually, the body is functioning as it's supposed to. When we can stand for truth, when we can present the truth in love, we're getting to where we need to be. Things are functioning the way that they need to function. It's strange because you graduating seniors, you're closer now than you probably ever have been in 
essentially leaving your parents, right? You're leaving the nest. You're getting closer. You may not be there yet, but you're growing in that direction. You have matured to a point where you leave your parents. The Christian walk is not the same. You don't mature to a point where you leave God. You mature to a point where you look like God. You always stay in Him. There's never going to be a point where you get to and you say, I don't need you anymore. I've got this. So this body working effectively, working in love and in unison, is a great picture. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, ultimately, the gospel, as we've seen, is calling us to this worthy walk. It gives us these distinct gifts, but these gifts are all for the same purpose, and that purpose is this, to develop maturity, to develop an ability to see truth, and an ability to speak that truth in love. And when that's happening, the body is working how it's intended. So when we talk about these things and how they apply to you guys, I have to I have to be honest and I have to say there's nothing I can do for you seniors about the past. I, I haven't had very long with you guys. There have been some things that you've seen in the past that have probably hurt you or you feel like have failed you. I, there's nothing I can do about the past. All I have control over is the future. My gifting My job, what I'm called to, what I have the responsibility of doing is helping you equip, right? Helping you mend, helping you to the point where you know what God is calling you to do, that there's a a need inside of you to pursue that. So all I can do is make myself available now. And I told some of you guys that Thursday night when we met for dinner, I'm telling you all that now, that if you need something, If you need prayer, if you need counsel, if you want to walk through scripture, if you need something, if you need help figuring out what your gifting is, see me, find me. I will help you do that because one, it's my job. And two, I would love for you guys to go out into the world with a sure foundation, a very clear picture of what God is calling you to do and what you're going to do in response to that call, a way that you're going to mature. I would love to see you guys, as I said before, take that maturity, take that calling, and then come back and reinvest. Or wherever God calls you in the future, if it's not here, that you would be somewhere invested in a place, helping others to mature, helping others to equip. Because the point of giftings is for each of us to mature, to develop in truth, to love Him, to pursue Him, all of those things. And those are ways that we serve each other individually and as a group. So that is what I want you guys to to be. I don't want you to be easily deceived. I don't want you to be tossed to and fro as as it says here. I don't want those things to happen for you. I want you to be so sure of God and who He is and what He's called you to that you are equipped to join the kingdom work, that you are ready to fight that you are ready to get in because this walk is not a spectator sport. And that is something that we as a church need to remember. We all should be maturing, identifying our gifts and serving. But the last thing I want to say is this. Verses 17 through 24, he says, become new. And that's your practical application if you're looking for. Paul has taken us on quite a journey. He began by instructing us to walk worthy. He has talked about the gospel. He has talked about unity. He has talked about spiritual gifting, growth, maturity. And now Paul returns to this point and says, the way you do these things, the way you walk worthy, the way you pursue God's will for your life, the way that you're not swayed by truth is that you do not pursue the old man. And he goes through this description in verses 17 through 19. He says, the old man is one whose mind is darkened. 
The old man is one whose heart is hard. The old man is one who has continually rejected what God has tried to do in their life. Their understanding is darkened. Their hearts are hard. All of that is because they have rejected God time and time again. And that ignorance and that hardness, those are heart issues. And those heart issues come out in their actions. You can tell very easily by their actions that not only have they rejected God, but in some cases are boasting about it. That's what the word licentiousness means. If you have that translation, it's a word we need to bring back because it's it's in full swing in the culture. Not only do people sin, but people want you to believe that you should be proud of them for their sin. That they somehow are special because they are owning their sin and boasting about their sin. That's the old man, but that's not the life you're called to. You're called to a different life. Verses 20 through 24, Paul tells those people, put off that old man and put on the new man. You say, well, what's he talking about? It's this picture of changing clothes, right? Now, Jess always gets on to me because we'll be like at the house. We're both in like Nike shorts and T-shirts that have holes in them. And she's like, all right, let's go. Let's go to the store or let's go, you know, somewhere. And I always put on jeans and a button up. And she says, why are you putting on real clothes? Now I feel like I have to put on real clothes. There's just something about putting on those clothes that makes me feel presentable, right? How many of you ever dressed up as kids, right? There's something about a shirt with an S on it, a towel wrapped around your shoulders. Something about that makes you feel like you can take on the world, right? You've got that Wolverine costume with the foam abs, and you're like six, you weigh like a hundred pounds when you're six, but you still have those foam abs. Something about it just makes you feel like you can take on the world. It's that same picture here. Something about putting on this conduct, putting on this new man will make you feel different. And this, this is, this is the key here. You don't have to wait until you feel like the new man to put on the new man. You can feel like the old man, but if you put that conduct on, a change will begin to take place. And you say, well, what does that have to do with us as graduates? What does that have to do with us as a church? And I would say this, don't walk according to the world standards. Because they have, believe it or not, they have set the bar on a lot of issues. A lot of issues, a lot of things that are not not their responsibility. It's not their right to set the bar on, but they have set the bar They have set the bar incredibly low. Incredibly low. It's much harder to pursue Christ and to pursue the calling that He has on your life than it is to live the life that the world is calling you. Because the world has based its bar on what's convenient or what feels good or what's easiest. I don't want you guys going out there and living the same way that the world is living because you are better than that. I want each of you graduates out in the world acting like you are the son or the daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That he has called you to something that he sees value in you and for the church. That you men would come alongside these young guys and show them what it means to love their wife. To show them what it means to respect a woman. For you ladies to come come alongside these, these younger ladies and say your value and your worth does not come from anything other than God. That's that's something that I would want to happen in this place to see you guys encourage these students because I know how you feel. You're thinking, they're 18. I'm now 80. I have nothing in common with an 18-year-old. I don't know what fork knife is. I don't know what... I don't know how to text. 
I don't know how to do any of this other stuff. I don't know what the deal is with the dances or these words or what lit is or, or whatever else. Like, I don't know any of this stuff. That's probably all true. But what you do have in common with them is the fact that you've both been called by God to His work, to His kingdom work. And so to see that similarity as the most important thing and to invest in that. So for you graduates, I would encourage you to think through these things. That you would you would walk worthy of your calling. That you would go out into this world with a focus on who He is, what He's called you to do. That you would trust Him. That you would pursue Him in all of your decision making. That any hurt that comes your way, that you would deal with in patience and graciousness in the same way that He has dealt with us. That you guys would... See your differences, whatever they may be, whatever your diverse gifts are, that you would know that God has a purpose for them, that you have a place to serve here, that as you grow older, you may have opportunities to serve other places, but most importantly, that you're using your gifts to build up his body, to pursue his will for your life and the lives of those around you, and that you would live above the standards of this world. Because you are very much worth more and capable of more than what the world has called you to. And as a church, that you guys would come alongside these students and that you would say, yes, I don't understand a whole lot about you, but what I do understand is the walk with God. I've walked it for a while. I've been through some difficult seasons. This is what it looks like to make this decision. This is what it looks like to make that decision. This is how I use my gift what are your gifts? What do you feel God calling you to do that you guys would encourage them and help them and help equip them so that they come behind you because they are that next generation. As much as you think millennials have ruined everything, there will be generations to come after millennials and those generations will need to know the love of Christ and his calling on their life just like we do now. And so that's my encouragement to you guys as a church, to you guys as students.